As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinion. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. Okay, I am excited to be back with you guys again this week, um, and I want to get started with the reviewer of the week. So that is Brie Kelly, and she says, prepped with peace of mind. I discovered this podcast during my first trimester, and I have to say it's been a lifesaver. Not only do I feel supported with great resources and tools, but I feel a lot more confident about the big day. I love how this podcast could help any mama, regardless of their birthing style, location, and other preferences. The info presented is unbiased, well thought, and just plain fun. I appreciate the work that you have put into this podcast. Feeling supported for my first birth. I'm 29 weeks and I hope it's not too late to sign up for the course. Hope to connect with some other mamas. Absolutely not. Not too late to sign up for the course. And if you're already in there because this podcast review is from just a little bit ago, welcome in. (laughs) So excited to have you there. Again, the names never perfectly match who who comes into the course, but I'm excited for you. Um, and it's true. Like that's kind of the point of doing a podcast or, or doing what I do, right? I want to be able to reach as many moms as possible and be able to give you the information so that you feel empowered to make the choice that is ultimately right for you. That's what I wished was available to me. Um, and that's kind of what I did on my own, right? I wanted the research. And so I went out and got it. I got all the information. I did what I did with it. And then I had the birth that I desired. Um, and so I hope that that's available for all of you. Okay, so you guys know that I've kind of been on this hot topic issue recently, um, and I don't want to like keep it going in a way that's upsetting. Um, I just, I admit that I'm feeling really frustrated. And as I know, a lot of you have heard on this podcast and you've probably seen with me lately on social media, that frustration is centered around women being forced into unnecessary inductions. Now, of course, I am not going to say that um, all of these are unnecessary and there's absolutely no way of me knowing 
like each woman's personal circumstances and medical history. But I can say with complete confidence that there's no way that this many women, and not for the repeated reasons that I continue to hear, um, do I believe that women's bodies need to be forced into labor as much as they're being right now? Um, and I also want to say, don't worry, because I know some of you reached out when I did podcasts probably a couple months back and we were talking about this same topic because honestly, it's kind of been this hot topic where women continue to have this issue. Um, but I had a couple people reach out and said, I needed to have an induction and could you talk about like how to make that go well because maybe I didn't have such a great time or I had a good induction and maybe you could talk somewhat about that so that moms coming up to it aren't as worried and I think that's really fair. So anyways, I don't want any of you to feel bad if you're listening and you're coming up against an induction. So I want to, um, as always, I want you to have all the best evidence-based information that's going to help you ask good questions and get all the information and ultimately be able to make the decision that's best for you and what feels best for you. So in this episode, I want to discuss what would constitute some medical reasons for inductions and what you can do when it becomes necessary. So I'm going to help walk you through that. So stay with me on this episode. Um, I know this is something women worry about a lot. So once you do have a medical reason for induction, how does that change the birth plan? What do you need to know? So I want to make sure and cover that here. So let's get started. Number one, I do want to hit those hot topic points of what are the things that I'm seeing consistently that I think don't necessarily need to turn into an induction for every single mom? And the number one that I think will always be an issue, in my opinion, is the due date. So if you're coming up to that 40-week guess date, because we know better than to call it a due date by now, right? If you're approaching that 40-week guess date, that is a time that providers are like, well, we better schedule the induction or let's just talk about what happens if you go past your due date and when we'll schedule the induction or I'll let you go until this time, this arbitrary number that we're going to lay out here, and then we'll schedule your induction. And that's kind of how the conversation goes, right? Like, it's not, uh, here's some options. I think scheduling an induction would be the best idea here. What do you think? It's let's schedule your induction. And I think that kind of conversation and how how we approach women when we're talking to them about such a serious topic makes a big difference for how it's received. So if as a provider, their comfort level is to not have women go past 41 weeks, um, approaching it in a way that is is very clear about that, you know, I'm comfortable practicing, this is how I practice this 41-week due date. I really like to have moms schedule their inductions here. How do you feel about that? Versus, yeah, it's you're coming up, I schedule it 41 weeks, so let's make sure we get it on the books. That I think that's just really, it makes you feel different about how, how that information is taken in. And so this is why I super stress, and you've heard it stressed a ton on here before, not only making sure that you're vetting your provider, but having this induction conversation well before you hit that third trimester. This is a second trimester conversation, but I don't want you to freak out if you're hearing me now. I want you to feel very comfortable at 32 and 35 weeks, right, or 36, or as you're approaching that due date, if this hasn't come up yet, to have that conversation. So what happens, here's like the question, right? What happens if I pass that 40-week due date? 
What does that look like? Are you comfortable with me going to 42 weeks? Because if you as the mom are comfortable, then the conversation needs to be, what are you comfortable with me going to 42 weeks or later because I am? I'm comfortable. And if you're not, then then great. That's a different conversation to have. Um, but either way, I think having those questions early on and those conversations early on are going to give you a lot more information for what you need to do moving forward. And that can be sometimes as, I don't want to say drastic, but as real as having to change your provider, right? If you guys aren't on the same page and you know that there's a really good chance you're probably going to guess or or pass that guest date, right? A lot of women do that. Um, Then you want to, you want to know what your options are and if you need to be interviewing other doctors or providers. Um, But if you guys, if you find out you're on the same page, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, if mom and baby are healthy and well, and I don't see any reason to induce or whatever, then, then great. Then you're on the same page. And that's the other thing that I think is really important here too. There's no right or wrong answer here. I mean, right? There's a right and wrong answer for you. Um, But a lot of times it's just like who you're going to mesh with. And um, if your ideal birth is matching with the way that they practice, ultimately that's what's going to matter is that provider patient relationship, right? Provider mom, is this working for me? So um, again, this is probably a conversation if you haven't had it already that you're going to start to hear around 36, 37, 38 weeks, you're going to come to those last appointments and all of a sudden that induction conversation is going to pop up. Now, not to get into all of the details of due dates. You guys have heard me talk about this before and I will link the episode here. It's actually, I think, a fertility episode that I had done quite a while back. Um, But in that episode, I talk about the importance of due dates. And specifically, if you're somebody who is having fertility issues, you know about tracking your menstrual cycle. You're probably aware, or I'll just tell you now, not everybody runs on a 28-day schedule, okay? But that is what they go off of when they're calculating your due date. So they say, okay, what was your last missed period? Um, and you're like, oh, it was July 17th. And and then they say, okay, perfect. Now we're going to go 28 days, right? And, and then they calculate the due date off of that. So here's the thing. Not everybody menstruates on that 28-day mark. Not everybody ovulates on the 14-day mark, which is the, the mark that's used. Um, and implantation takes time as well. So we all know that there are a bunch of factors that tell us that due date is just a guest date for a lot of reasons. And even off of due dates that are perfect, because we have all of that information and we know all of these things, a mother is still not overdue um, or considered overdue until she passes that 42-week mark. So this whole notion of we're overdue, we've got to get this baby out with no other factors other than mom being past the due date, that is kind of a big red flag. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. If it's based off of your guest date or due date alone, that is not a medical reason for induction. And so that, I, I'll be honest, that is the question I get a lot. And I know that that's um, common. That would be like the main concern, right? Is it safe to go past my due date? Is it safe to go to 42 weeks? And I can't tell you for your own personal situation if it is safe for you. But I can tell you that watching um, how midwives practice, especially out of hospital, also I have seen providers and midwives in hospital, so I don't just want to um, polarize those. But I will tell you that I have seen many women go 42 and 42 plus safely and mom and baby are well. There's other factors that we need to consider, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later. So I, I know I spent just a little bit of time on that, but you guys, like, 
seriously, the due date is like the number one. So I just wanted to get that one out there. The second one I'm seeing a lot of, and this is kind of new news to me, but I feel like it is popping up like crazy. And that is this high blood pressure only at the provider's office. So there is something called white coat syndrome. This is something that nurses and providers learn when they are in medical school. This is a very real thing. In other words, your blood pressure gets raised. You get anxious when you're at the doctor's office and it can raise your blood pressure. So the concern with a high blood pressure reading is that they're looking for signs of preeclampsia. Okay, which can lead to eclampsia or in other words, seizures during pregnancy. So obviously that's not going to be good for mom and baby. So they want to stay away from that. But it'll include things like consistent high blood pressure readings that in other words, they don't go down when you're at home. Um, protein in the urine, edema or like swelling in your legs and hands um, or in your face, like water retention, like when you go to push the skin in, it kind of pits or it stays in, it doesn't pop back out. If you have changes in your vision or constant headaches or you're urinating very little, um, those are all things that they're looking for. But if it is just based off of a high blood pressure reading that is only happening at the provider's office and when you're taking your blood pressure at home, it's not happening at home, that's a red flag. That is not a medical reason for induction alone. Again, make sure you speak with your provider. They have all of your information, but alone, that is not a medical reason for induction. On top of that, gestational diabetes controlled by diet. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Guys, like what is happening? So this is a mom who has, you know, failed. I'm using air quotes. You can't see. Failed the one hour failed the three hour, but was really close with their numbers. In other words, it can be controlled by diet. Um, and so they send mom home with some information, some diet information. Maybe they're on a low glycemic diet and they monitor themselves at home. They're not high risk. Nothing should change. And then all of a sudden they're told at the end of their pregnancy, okay, well, you've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So we need to schedule your injection. Like what? Whoa, hold on. Gestational diabetes that is controlled by diet and mom and baby are healthy and well, is not a reason for induction. Okay, thank you very much. Let's move on to the next thing. Provider vacations. Why is this a thing? I don't know. Probably because being a provider is hard and you work long hours and the weekends come up or holidays come up and you're like, man, I need a break. <laughs> so let's have these babies so I don't get called back in the middle of a family vacation or like kicking my feet up for the weekend. And I can appreciate that. I really, I understand but I think there needs to be a little bit more respect. And I say this coming from a place where I am not a provider in this situation, strictly from a mom and a doula supporting situation, looking at how a mom walks through this very sacred experience and thinking, um, 
maybe something needs to change here, you know? And I know that we had talked about it on a previous episode where like different hospitals have done different ways of having the providers. Like in other words, instead of them having their own patients and they're on call just whenever, um, having them work like 12 hour shifts this many days a week, you're off here. You don't come in on this time. Um, and we saw, we saw from those studies and I'll link the episode where we talked about this here cause it was really incredible. Um, we saw that, that those providers had a way lower cesarean rate, had a way lower induction rate. Um, and I think moms overall probably felt better about those situations, right? You're not being forced into any of these things and providers don't feel like they need to force anything. Um, and so anyways, it's kind of a tricky situation, but the truth is, that is a conversation to have with your provider. Like, do you have any vacations coming up? Um, and maybe they don't know at the time, right? Nine months and you're newly pregnant. Maybe they don't know. Um, but as it comes up, I know that providers have offered, I'm going to be gone on this particular weekend when you're due. If you want to make sure that I'm here, why don't we schedule an induction? That way I can be the provider and you don't have to guess who's going to be at your birth. And I think for some moms, that's really comforting. Um, I know that if it gets kind of brought up randomly, it's not comforting at first. It's like, hey, wait, I didn't wait. I didn't plan for that. Um, but some moms do choose to like, it's more important for them to make sure that that provider is there uh, than to wait for the for labor to start or however. So if that is a comfort thing for you, I just think it's a conversation to have earlier on, right? But it is true that inductions and cesareans because inductions and cesareans can go together sometimes, right? We know that the more intervention that we have, the more likely we are to, to, to see a cesarean. So it doesn't mean if you have an induction, you're going to have a cesarean. We just know that it does increase the likelihood of it. But we know that those things go up when we're coming up to a weekend or when we're coming up to a holiday. And so I just think it's something to have in the back of your mind so that you can have those really crucial and important conversations. Okay, so let's get into the kind of like, what can you do if you're kind of faced with some of these things. Um, and number one is to have the knowledge behind it, right? So hopefully I'm giving you a little bit of that here. Number two is to ask tons and tons of questions. Um, the like, well, what happens if? <laughs> and um, what are my options if? And can you tell me more about that? I always say like get whatever you can in writing, especially if it's something that doesn't make sense to you. Um, make sure that it comes in writing. Like explain that to me more. Show me where it says this is the less riskier of the two. Um, tell me what my benefits and risks are for whatever is being offered. Let Tell me more about that. And then especially as you approach your due date, it's likely that they're going to order a non-stress test if they're concerned about anything, um, particularly for providers that don't want you going past a guest date they're going to want to see a non-stress test. And that's fine. I say, go ahead, go for the non-stress test because it puts no stress on baby. It's seriously just monitoring. They're listening for um, baby's heart rate. They're following that while baby has movements. It's usually only about 20 minutes. And so that can give you a good reading um, kind of for your comfort and then hopefully also for the providers. Um, I have seen where non-stress tests come back fine a lot actually. And they're like, well, we should still schedule the induction. But you're like, wait, I did the non-stress test and I'm I'm fine and my baby's fine and like why are we talking induction again? Um and so it's just it's just a matter of like really good communication and lots of information. I think honestly, if it doesn't feel right and you have all the information, trust your gut. And likewise, like on the other side, if you're feeling it's the right thing to do for whatever reason, even if all the numbers make sense, then go for it. Trust your gut. This should be 
your call. And that's kind of where I, I wanted to put the stress, right? Like this is totally up to moms. This needs to be up to you because at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to deal with what, however it plays out. And you want to be able to look back and say, not only did I have a say in this, not only was I respected, but I feel really good about the outcome. So those were kind of the things that I am seeing most commonly. Honestly, I feel like I don't know why. Um, and I'm really curious about it, actually. But, you know, inductions and, and all of these things that have inductions, especially, which I feel like have really come up for moms kind of since the pandemic. And then these specific topics that I'm talking to you about, I have seen really prevalent within the last, you know, four, six, eight months. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but I know it's my responsibility to talk to you ladies about it and to hopefully give you some information so that you feel prepared and powerful and empowered uh, to be able to go to your provider, ask the questions, get what you need, and then make a decision that's right for you. Okay, so let's talk about when these things actually do become medically necessary or there's other factors that maybe I haven't mentioned um, that make it it's safer to have baby come out rather than waiting a little bit longer. And so for the ones that I mentioned, maybe that's just, you know, it's something other than just gestational age of the baby. Um, maybe it is diagnosed preeclampsia or gestational diabetes that needs medication. Like there's a reason that it would be safer for baby to come out than stay in. So let's talk about when induction is necessary, what are those next steps? I think the first thing to think about is um, how successful is an induction likely to be for your body? And this can give you an idea of maybe how you would like to change or um, kind of mix up some of your birth plan or maybe even some questions that you want to ask your provider. Um, These things I think are really important when we're discussing induction. And so before induction even begins, providers typically use something called a Bishop score. And Honestly, unless you ask for it, you're probably not going to hear anything about it. That's not always the case, but I find that a lot of times that's true. Um, And so here's what you need to know about a Bishop score. There are points that are assigned for each of these categories. So you've got dilation, which means how open is your cervix. Um, And that's expressed in centimeters, right? She's one centimeters dilated. She's six centimeters. Ten centimeters means, yeah, it's time to push, right? So it goes one to ten. And there's two two points that are assigned for each category. And then we've got effacement. And so that's how thin your cervix is. Um, And I know, I mean, you can't see what I'm doing right now with my hands. (laughs) But um, like imagine that you have a turtleneck sweater. This is the way that it's explained, right? Um, And that turtleneck kind of needs to get squished down to be smaller and smaller and thinner and thinner. Um, And they say it kind of just melts away is the way that it's described. But basically they're asking like, okay, like how, how much is she effaced? Is it 10%, 20%? It's expressed in percentages, okay? And then they're looking at the station. So you've got how open the cervix is, how thin it is, and then station means how high or low in the pelvis the baby is. And so if you've got a negative station, think of it not being like a negative thing, but that's how I remember that like that means the baby's up high. And if there's positive numbers, then baby's down low. And so if you've got a baby, for example, that's at a negative three station, That means when they do a vaginal exam, their fingers can't even touch baby's head. They have no idea how high it is. It's negative three. It's up there. Um, And so you want a baby that's, when it's favorable for induction, right, you want that to be a lot lower, negative one or a zero. 
um, when you're talking like plus one, plus two, plus three, like plus three is like almost born. So um, it's it's measured off of the ischial spines. And now I'm going to get into too much detail. And so you're just going to have to watch the videos in the birth course. But it's measured off these bony prominences that are in your pelvis um, and in relation to the head of the baby, like how high or low or is it even with those bony prominences. So you've got how high or low the baby is. And then you've got the consistency or softness and ripeness of the cervix and then the position of the cervix. So that is, is it anterior or posterior? In other words, is your cervix faced backwards, like towards your back? Is it, has it come forward, which is common for it to do as it's preparing for birth? Um, Really what you need to know about all of these things is that the score together, when they score all of this, like how dilated and effaced and where your baby is and what your cervix is doing, if you have a score of six or less, they say that's unfavorable for induction. Do we see inductions done like this all the time anyways? Yep. Does it take quite a bit more work to get mom's body going? Yep. And it includes more intervention and a greater risk for cesarean birth. Um, if you have a score of eight or higher, it's said to be favorable for induction. And so that's really positive, right? Less favorable or unfavorable. It, like I said, it means it's going to it's gonna take more work to get the cervix ripe. It's going to mean a greater chance for induction-caused interventions and cesarean birth. A more favorable number means there's going to be less that needs to be done to get labor to begin. Your body is already going. Things are moving in the right direction. Um, It might need a little push kind of over the edge and then things can get going. That doesn't mean that it might be completely intervention free and a super easy thing, but it could be. It really could. It could mean like, oh, we get a little bit of Pitocin going or, you know, we get that cervix right a little bit riper and and all of a sudden like mom's body kicks in and it's beautiful and it's glorious and we have this wonderful birth and that can totally happen. And honestly, it can happen even with a less favorable, um, like a less than six. It's just that the, the, um, the percentage, what am I trying to say here? It's just that the chances of that happening are a little less. And so this is just information. I just, I don't want to freak you out. I just want you to have information, good information. Okay. So here's the thing. If you know your Bishop score is less than six or it's six or less, and there's no medical reason to induce, I'm obviously going to recommend that you talk with your healthcare provider and maybe think of some other things, some other options that you can do to hold out a little longer and to allow your body to prepare like it's meant to do. Okay. And if it is in that favorable, but mom and baby are fine, you still have the option to wait and allow your body to go into labor. Mother nature is smart. Your body is smart. Your baby knows when they're supposed to be born. And most often, All of that is going to happen in this beautiful way and labor will begin on its own. That's how the body works. I mean, we grew this whole baby. We've got a uterus for Pete's sake, you know, Um, there is a lot that can happen that your body is fully aware of to be able to get things going on its own. I don't want you to give up and not think that your body is, is broken or, um, or to think that your body is broken or to not think that it can't handle it, that it doesn't know what it's doing because medical advances or whatever, all of a sudden we're so much smarter than our bodies. That's really not the case. So again, just really good information. Definitely get that Bishop score no matter what you do. And I just want to say this really quick about the Bishop score. This has been my very um, personal, professional experience when it comes to watching moms who um, move through induction for one reason or another. If you have Out of all of these things, dilation, effacement, station, consistency, position of the cervix, 
if you have a ripe cervix, a ripe cervix that is effaced, I feel like that is more telling than some of these other things. I have seen like, seriously, mom is like 0% dilated. That baby is up high, but we've got a nice ripe cervix and like 80% of face. That is like big work. I feel like that is bigger work that the body does than dilation a lot of times. And so when you're up against an induction, I just kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's fair to like give you some of that background information that I have seen them be more successful with those two things. So just information for you to have kind of in the back of your mind. Now, maybe we've moved into that space where you're like, okay, no, for sure. I know I need an induction. And so let's talk about some different medical options that there are when we're talking about induction. And the most common one, the first one that I feel like is offered, um, and even when they're like playing with the idea of induction, and so you can decide if that's something, <laughs> if this is something that you want to have done to you or not, um, but stripping the membranes or sweeping the membranes membranes, a membrane strip, membrane sweep, however they say it, um, is a really common like first step. And it, I mean, of course, I don't think anything is risk-free, so I'm not going to tell you that it is, but it is one of the lower risk things or like maybe that like next step before you try some other things, right? Next to like the very natural things of like, let's try some clary sage oil and some pressure points and nipple stimulation. Like there's other things that you could try obviously before you go here, but things that like you need a medical professional to do this. And this is something that they would offer before like a formal induction. Stripping of the membranes is something that you can do. And so it's not super comfortable. I haven't had it done, but I will tell you right now, having anything put through your cervix is often not very comfortable. Um, and particularly when you're pregnant and that area is just sensitive anyways. And so what they do is the care provider places two fingers inside of mom's cervix and, um, onto like through the cervix and kind of separates the bag of waters from the side of the uterus near the cervix. So through the cervix and pushes the bag of waters away from the side of your uterus. Um, and it kind of is supposed to get things moving, right? It irritates the uterus. And the truth is it can cause or not cause contractions and or cramping. Um, and then two, you've got to keep in mind that again, we're putting good bacteria in a place that doesn't belong. We're putting just things that shouldn't be there um, in a place that doesn't belong. And so there is always that chance there's a risk of infection. Um, and we've certainly seen if, like if, if mom is GBS positive, um, it seems that that I don't want to say like there's a greater chance, but there might be a greater chance of a risk for infection. And so if for some reason the stripping of the membranes, whether or not it causes labor, but you've got a you have an infection and you need to come in, well, now you're definitely going to be in on an IV and maybe that wasn't part of your birth plan. You have to have antibiotics to treat the infection, um, which antibiotics for you obviously goes to baby two. And so then, you know, there's always the concern of, well, how's baby's gut going to be? Are we going to be dealing with thrush? Are there other things that happen because we've used antibiotics during labor? But if you need it, like, I don't want you to stress about that. I just want you to know that that's information. And then the monitoring of mom and baby, um, probably the augmentation of labor since infection is present and the longer that mom's pregnant, the greater the, the chance that the infection will reach baby. Um, and then you have to go through labor not feeling awesome, right? If you've got an infection and you're not feeling good and you're dealing with a fever and like whatever comes with infection, um, body aches and chills and whatever that looks like, you're not going to be like 
so good to be able to focus on the contractions and what's in front of you. You're going to be like, I don't feel good right now. Um, and that obviously is going to make things a little trickier, right? And so seriously, heart goes out to you, right? The moms that have been like, I have COVID and I'm birthing my baby or I have a cold or I have the flu or whatever. Um, imagine kind of some of that, except we brought it on. Um, and now you've got to be on some IV antibiotics biotics and other things. Yeah, I just think it's fair to give you that information and let you know that there is a risk. Now with membrane sweeps, I want you to know that there are absolutely times when this is, it it, it works, right? Mom is kind of that, just like I was talking about um, for the Bishop score, knowing the Bishop score and like pushing, kind of pushing the body over the edge. If it's already about to go anyways, then a membrane sweep could very well like, oh, yep, that started contractions and labor began and there were no other interventions and I had a baby and it was wonderful. And so that can absolutely be an option and the opposite can be true too. Um, but that's why it's so important that it becomes like a personal decision. So something for you guys to think about. Another thing that they offer for induction is to use a cervical ripener. Um, and this will be something like Cervidil or Cytotec. I won't get into those. Um, just so that you know it's it's to ripen the cervix. Both of them are to ripen the cervix. Um, and they're prostaglandins. So they help to soften the cervix. And that's actually kind of, so when we're trying to tell you like natural ways to get your body moving, right? We say, go have some sex because semen is a natural prostaglandin. Um, it softens the cervix. And so this, these are both prostaglandins um, that can help soften the cervix. And just as I mentioned before, right, if you come in with a soft cervix, like that is a big deal. So anyways, so typically something like a cervical ripener, like they have moms come to the hospital at night. Don't get me started about why they do it at night because sometimes those cervical ripeners, like I don't know, starting an induction at night and then you don't sleep overnight and then you're monitored all night and the beeping and the walking around and you're like, why? Why are we doing this? And then starting things at 8 a.m., you know? Um, but anyways, that's just information. So yeah, you get the cervical ripener and that's supposed to stop things and get things going. And then um, if that, sometimes it does create contractions, that's, it can be fairly common, but if it doesn't and you're able to get rest and whatever, the idea is that we've got this nice soft cervix in the morning and then we can start the Pitocin. Now, if you are like completely not dilated at all, they typically recommend something like let's use a prostaglandin with a Foley bulb. Um, and this is a balloon that's placed like with a catheter, it goes through your cervix into the uterus. They inflate it to put pressure against the cervix to dilate it. Um, and it falls out after you're a couple centimeters dilated. So the idea is that we've done some manual dilation and then we've got a ripe cervix. And now again, we can start Pitocin. Okay. And so really this, it's kind of tricky because I do know of providers that are like, okay, let's just start the Pitocin. And they don't worry about the softening of the cervix or the whatever. And I don't know why, you know, different providers just um, practice different ways. But really, if you are, if you're using Pitocin, and we talk about this even in the birth course, right? If you're using Pitocin and you don't have a soft cervix, it is like banging on a closed door. So you're like contractions, contractions, mom's working hard. She's getting tired. They're strong. You can feel it and nothing's happening. Um, and so it's just kind of like, yeah, you got to get the cervix soft so that you can, so that the contractions are, are helping to open things and pull things and do exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Okay. So I, I know I just threw a lot of information at you. Let me recap just for a moment so that it doesn't seem so crazy. So Basically, what we want to do is make sure that it's a medically necessary induction 
And once we've decided that that's the case, or your intuition is telling you that even though everything looks fine, you're ready to go for induction, that feels like the next right step, then we want to get a little more information, right? We want to see what our non-stress test is doing. We want to get the information for the Bishop score. And then we want to move forward with a plan that'll be the best induction for us. And so, or for you, right? In that case. And so having all of that information and knowing the options that you can do something like a membrane stripping to see if you can get contractions moving on their own at home by yourself um, or coming into your birthplace and doing something like cervidil or cytotec or some kind of a prostaglandin that helps soften the cervix with sometimes a Foley bulb if you're not dilated at all or, you know, even a little bit, um, then those are some options to get things opening up and moving. And then some ways to make that really positive once things get going is to make sure that you've got all of your your countermeasures, your comfort measures, um, your partner on board, your birth support, so that when you're moving through those things, which might not be what you had envisioned when at the beginning of your birth you were thinking about how things would go, how labor would begin, and what your labor would look like, um, that you'll have a lot of support and love and encouragement throughout the process. I think especially with with births that um, have to get kind of that little push to get going, and there's a little more work involved, um, and especially when we're talking about things like Pitocin, that artificial oxytocin that can, creates contractions, that those contractions can be a little bit different, a little bit um, more intense and uncomfortable, that we have those comfort measures kind of in our back pocket. And so if, if you're not sure what those tools are, um, that's time I really do believe in in preparation and in knowledge. And, and so absolutely, I'm going to tell you, jump into the birth course and or ask me questions, like ask lots of questions, because there is a lot that you can do to prepare now so that when you're faced with some of these things, it's not so scary. OK, you your partner knows how to um, give you really good counter pressure and he knows what comfort measures are going to be good for you. Do you like massage or light touch? Is it going to make a big difference if he's there holding your hand or um, going to get you things? Is it going to matter that you have little things that make you comfortable like chapsticks and, and socks um, and somebody feeding you little bits of food or honey sticks? Is it going to make a difference if he's standing there and, and whispering sweet nothings into your ear or reminding you that you're strong and you can do this? You know, all of those things um, make a big difference. And if it's not practiced and rehearsed and second nature or that muscle memory that we, that we talk about, then what? You know, then then what you're left with is a lot of confusion and chaos and, and uncomfortableness and tears. And, um, and not that some of that can't exist or won't exist within birth anyways because it is all of the things but a lot of that can be eliminated and again the goal is to be able to look back and say um, I had a say I was respected and I feel good about the situation I feel good about the process I also feel like it's really important to kind of put it out there for moms who are facing induction um, because of the like there, there's more intervention there's more to do to get mom's body going um, and it's just kind of more of a hands-on process that utilizing an epidural is absolutely one of those tools to have in that back pocket. You don't have to, and if that's not your main goal, that's fine. But if you find yourself in a place where you're like, I've done all the other things, I've used all of the tools in my pocket, all of these comfort measures, 
um, and you're ready for a little bit of rest or you feel like that's the next right step, you can't relax anymore and you know you need to relax to dilate or whatever that looks like, that that is an author option to be able to utilize as well. Um, and without guilt and without shame and it's just part of what you're doing and it's wonderful and it's just the next right step. That's totally okay and I want you guys to be thinking about that too. Um, if we want to take a moment and just talk about like some natural induction methods, right? If you know you're coming up against an induction and obviously, especially like with this one, you're going to want to ask a provider. Um, but there are some things that you can do. And some of them that I mentioned were like nipple stimulation, um, having intercourse, making sure that he finishes so that the semen is the natural prostaglandin that you're getting that you finish so that you're creating contractions because it irritates the uterus. Um, because it feels good, right? Um, and then also you could do walking and curb walking and then you take a bath um, and then you do some more nipple stimulation. All of those things can help create contractions on their own. I know I also talked about uh, using clary sage oil and acupressure points. I know women who have used chiropractic care and moxibustion and acupuncture, and there are all kinds of different things that you can do to kind of get things moving. Um, and then the other one, this is kind of that big one that you definitely want to let your provider know you're doing, and that's castor oil. And this is kind of like that jokey, like, wait, people really do that? Yup, they totally do, right? Castor oil is awesome. Um, I mean, probably not so awesome in some regards, but um, it kind of clears out your bowels and that can stimulate labor. In fact, when women go into labor, it's really common to have loose stools and a lot of them and kind of off and on, right? Babies clearing a, a path. They're like, yes, get everything out of the way. I need to get through here and make my debut. And so if castor oil does work, you know, it stimulates contractions and labor can begin. If it doesn't, you know, back to the membrane sweep issue where it's like, oh, that just created a ton of maybe diarrhea and gas and bloating and pain and then nothing happened. And so again, it's just another option, but definitely something that you can look into. All right. I feel like I have been talking on this topic for quite some time and not just in this podcast episode, but um, obviously if you listen to this episode, I hope it brings you some peace. I hope you realize that you have a ton of options, whether that is to avoid an unnecessary induction or to walk gracefully through a necessary medical induction. Um, you have a lot of options along the way, and that's always the goal, right? So as always, I want you guys to send me your questions. Reach out to me. I, I am in my DMs constantly in Instagram, and if I don't get back to you within 24 hours, it'll probably be just a short time after. Like, I love talking to you guys. So um, come and ask me the questions. Let's have it out. Um, and, and I just hope that you guys found something within this episode that speaks to you, that resonates with you, that maybe you don't need it right now, but it's kind of tucked away back there so that if you do come up to some of these things, you're like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that um, and I've already got a plan in place or this is, I already have the wheels turning to what I'm going to do in case this and this comes up. And then on top of that, just make sure that you're reaching out to your providers, you guys. Having good communication with good providers is going to lead you down the path of happiness when it comes to your birth and your birth plan. Plan. So I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would do me a huge favor and leave a review, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, if you enjoy listening to me give you some information and some knowledge and you feel good and confident when you're done, if you would leave a review, that is seriously the lifeblood of this podcast and I would greatly appreciate it. Anyways, I hope you guys have an awesome week and I can't wait until I see you next week. That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as 
I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.